You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Risman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast, a show all about learning how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the worlds of design, product management, marketing, and more. In this episode, Intercom co-founder and chief strategy officer, Des Trainer, sits down with Jason Freed. Jason and his work really need no introduction, but for formality's sake, he's the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, the premier suite of collaboration tools for teams in the workplace. If you don't use his products, you may have caught his writing over at Signalverse Noise or in one of the three best-selling books Jason's co-written, Getting Real, Rework, and Remote, all of which detail some of the key lessons he's learned while starting, building, and running his business. Des's chat with Jason dives into how Basecamp decides when it's time for a major product overhaul, as seen recently with the release of Basecamp 3. For us to change the furniture on people on our schedule, make everything different, uh, it is unfair why chat-first mindset can become detrimental for any organization. Everything's becoming real-time now, which is an incredibly, uh, I think, toxic distraction at work. And why Basecamp remains a relatively small organization despite generating tens of millions in revenue and profit. David and I both don't like the complexities of, of large organizations. So let's hand things over to Des, who's with Jason Fried. Hey, Jason. It's an absolute honor to have you here. Hey, Des. How are you? Wonderful, thanks. Um, maybe for the five or six listeners who don't know what Basecamp is, could you give us a quick summary of what Basecamp is? Sure, yeah. So Basecamp is a, is a tool that teams uh, use to, to get work done together. It's a collection of communication tools. It's, it's a way to organize the work that needs to get done. It's a way to know what everyone's working on. Um, it's basically a sort of an all-in-one platform for doing any kind of work together with any kind of people focused primarily though on small businesses. We're not really that interested in enterprise stuff. It's for helping small businesses get stuff to, done together. I noticed you're, you're sort of skirting around the word project there. Is that deliberate? Yeah, you know, projects are part of getting work done. Um, but a big part of uh, working together is... is uh, is sharing other things that are, are not project related. You know, what everybody is working on doesn't always relate to a project. What everybody is doing at work doesn't always relate to a project. What everyone's thinking about at work doesn't always relate to a project. So while people run projects with Basecamp, they also run their company. They, they talk gen- generically about what's going on at the company, company news, company ideas, company discussion, company chatter, that kind of stuff too. So it's, it's broader than just projects. That's interesting. Has your thinking on that evolved over the, I mean, I guess Basecamp what, maybe nine, ten years old at this stage? Twelve years Twelve old. Twelve years yeah. old, sorry. Yeah. Um, I feel like when I started using it, and I think I was probably way back in the early days, you were probably a bit closer to using the word project. Is, is it that you found that that kind of restricts people's thinking about what they can use it for? Yeah, in some ways it's also sort of followed our, our own evolution. When we built Basecamp, when we launched it back in 2004, we built it for ourselves, we were a web design company at the time doing work for clients. So pretty much all of our work was project-based work. We'd be hired by somebody. We'd have to deliver a project. So projects was the, was the thing. But over the years, um, we've, we've been using Basecamp differently. We still do lots of project work for ourselves. But we also have teams. We also have company-wide initiatives that we don't consider to be projects, things that are perpetual, 
uh, things that are going on all the time that are not project-based. And so we just started noticing our patterns and other companies started following our patterns and we realized that projects is too small of a word. Uh, people, you know, it's interesting, the number one cancellation reason for people to cancel Basecamp uh, we have a cancellation survey at the end is, is I don't have any more projects going on right now. <laughs> and we're like, well, I get that, totally get that. But there's so many other reasons to keep using Basecamp for other things, which we haven't been doing a good job of explaining. So by, by eliminating the word projects from the product in many ways, we've helped, I think, I mean, we have some more explaining to do, but we've helped people be more imaginative on, on, on you know, how they can use Basecamp internally for things that are not just project work. There's an interesting parallel. I used to draw a Venn diagram for people. Uh, this is going to sound like a random tangent, but I'll go for it anyway. Uh, where I would show to people all of the things somebody does in their life and look at the tiny subset of those things that you actually want to share on Facebook. And, and you know, I, I used that as an example to show why Snapchat could in theory be bigger because there's a lot more stuff you do that you're happy to share with some people, just not the entire world. I feel like with, with Basecamp, like... There's a lot of stuff a company does and only a small number of it is actually in that book called Projects, which have a start date and a stop date and completion criteria and all that sort of stuff. Is that the sort of way you think about it? Yeah, for example, I'll give you some, a practical example. Um, David, uh, who's my co-founder, uh, me and Ryan, Ryan's sort of our strategy guy, if you want to product designer strategy. Um, we have a base camp set up just for us three to talk about product strategy. And product strategy never starts and never ends. It's an ongoing, perpetual thing. Um, it's not a project. It's an initiative. It's, 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 it's something we're working on all the time. And so we have a base camp just for us three to discuss potential ideas. We, we put pitches up for one another to consider. We, we talk about stuff that's higher level before we share it with everyone else in the company. So that's not a project. That's a team of three people thinking about things together, working on things together, keeping track of the stuff we're all doing together. Um, we also have a base camp set up for um, what we have internally called the small council. The small council is every department or team lead gets together roughly once a month and has a, has a meeting. Uh, but prior to that, we put up notes, we put up ideas, we put together tasks for one another to complete. This also is a perpetual ongoing thing, so it's not a project. So Basecamp is wonderful for these sort of constant perpetual concerns, uh, initiatives, things that are always going on in a business that don't have start dates and end dates. They're just things that happen. Uh, so I think every business has those. And traditionally, people might think about it sort of as an intranet in a way, but an intranet is a sort of a generic general single place. But in Basecamp, you can make special smaller places for different kinds of people and different kinds of groups to work on things together over long periods of time, things that don't start and end. So that's sort of the idea. Gotcha. So one thing that's really interesting to me uh, about how your release patterns have changed is that you're now, I'm not, not sure how committed you are to it, but you now seem to release a new a ground up version of the product every few years while still maintaining the previous ones. Why are you doing that? Yeah, so uh, roughly every, it's, it's averaged out so far to about every four years or so, we, we do a major new release, ground up, like you said. Um, and we do that because uh, at a certain point, you, you, you sort of um, achieve, I guess they call it a local maximum, where you're, you're able to iterate as much as you possibly can on the current, let's call it a current chassis. Like for take, let's, let's think about it like a car. Um, Cars, cars have generations. Like you have the Porsche 911, which has been around for 50 years. You have the Honda Accord, which has been around for 40 years, I think. This is a, an idea about what a specific kind of car is. But every 
some odd years, five, six, seven years, there's a new chassis, a new engine, a new idea, uh, which they start over from scratch, but it still follows the same pattern. And what happens is that you can't optimize certain things beyond a certain point. So if you want to bring brand new ideas to bear, if you want to, if you want to try something radically new, still with the same spirit of the original, but in a different way, you can't optimize your way there. You can't iterate your way there. I, I don't believe at least. I think at some point you need to start over and then you're able to do things that you couldn't do before because we all carry, products carry legacy just like companies carry legacy. And at a certain point, it's very, very hard to shed legacy. So you have to sort of jettison it and start over. Um, what we do though, which is different than most companies, pretty much every other company out there, is that we don't force our customers to upgrade to the newest version. Uh, the newest major version. We're, of course, releasing iterations for years as we go on the existing version, but when we start a new one, we kind of freeze the previous one in place, continue to support it forever, but don't force people to upgrade. And the reason why is because our schedule is not our customer's schedule. To force people to upgrade, um, you know, people are always in the middle of something. This is the big realization. Everyone's in the middle of something. And the kind of work people do with Basecamp is very critical to their business. It's either project work, it's client work, it's internal important initiative work. And for us to change the furniture on people on our schedule, make everything different, uh, is unfair. So we prefer to say, hey, look, whenever you're ready, if you're ever ready, come on over. But you also never have to make that decision. If you're comfortable with the way things work and you like the way things are, you can stay with that forever. So the initial version of Basecamp that came out in 2004, which we call Basecamp 1 now, we still have a good number of customers on that who will probably be on that for the next 10 years because they're used to it. It does what they need. They've, they've grown up with it and they understand it. And that's fine with us too. Which is pretty impressive. I think I love the phrase until the end of the internet, which is a, a good in, way to indicate your commitment. Um, what is the decision uh, or the, the idea that triggers you to start thinking about like the next base camp versus the one you're currently on? We typically have to have enough new ideas that are sort of stacked up that if you can imagine, if you can imagine for a moment, like a scale of justice, you know, like one of these old time scales, you've got two things on both sides. Um, the current version is going to be heavier than, the, than this new idea until the new idea becomes heavier than the current version. When, when it starts to flip, when, when the scales flip, basically, that's when you realize we've got enough new stuff here, a new perspective, new ideas, new points of view, new insights. There's enough of a pile of new things that it's time to, um, well, first of all, evaluate, can we make any of those things or can we bring any of those things to the existing version? If we say no to too many of those, like it would be too complicated, it would be too uh, divisive, it would uh, throw off the balance of the product, it would whatever, um, then it's time to think about a new version. And so far through our history, it's been roughly every four-ish years. The first one was eight years, then we did four, then we did three and a half. So it's Roughly all together now, 12 years, three versions, about four years, um, when, we, when we come up with something that feels like a collection of new enough ideas that we can't retrofit or don't want to retrofit, and then it's time. Now, there's no guarantee that it's always going to follow that pattern of roughly four years, but that's sort of been the historical pattern so far. It's interesting, like, you know, you've built a product, I guess, three times now. So, you know, it, you get something that not a lot of, like, product people do, which is, like, three different stabs at the same job, if you like. Does your knowledge about, like, how you understand how teams get work done, does that evolve each time or does it expire? Have you found your old assumptions you've had to throw away or do, they, or do you just get sharper each time? I think it's a combination of things. And we, we also, you know, throw away some good things sometimes and realize we didn't realize they were good until they're gone and then we bring them back. Um, 
I, I hope that we're getting sharper about things. What we've basically realized in the in Basecamp three is is the most sort of ambitious version of Basecamp we've ever built, and and the most complete version. We've realized, and this took us twelve years to realize that there's about six things that every team needs to work together, and they are as follows: you need a way to make announcements, big, thoughtful, big picture, full like complete write-up announcements that you want to make sure everybody sees. So we, we have a feature in Basecamp basically called the message board, which is a traditional threaded style message board where you can send out announcements that go to everybody and it's they're delivered to people. It's a very different thing than like a chat room, for example, where things are maybe seen and maybe not. So so we have, we have a message board. That's one tool in Basecamp 3. We have chat. So um, 10 years ago, we made something called Campfire. There are many different chat tools out today. Chat is now built into Basecamp for the first time. So teams sometimes need to hash things out quickly. Um, not write things up thoroughly, but hash things out quickly. So chat's for that. Every team needs a way to divvy up and organize the work that needs to get done to complete something. That's what to-dos are for in Basecamp. There's artifacts of working together. Documents, files, spreadsheets, PDFs, guides of some sort. like Things that are artifacts, that, those live in, in a Basecamp. Schedule, dates, milestones, things that are due on a certain point in time and big picture moments and phases, that's in Basecamp. It's called Schedule. And then last, the, one of the newest tools we have is something we realized, which is about this idea that everybody has something in their head that they don't volunteer unless they're prompted to. So the idea is if you want answers from people, you have to ask questions. And if you ask, if a person asks a question over and over, like, hey, Des, what'd you do today? Hey, Des, what'd you do today? Every day. That would feel like nagging. But if a system does it, it's more of a process. So in Basecamp 3, you can set up automated, what we call automated check-ins, where you can ask people things like, what'd you work on every day? Um, what do you plan on working on this week? What books have you read recently that you think would be interesting to share with the rest of the company? Um, you know, what do you look like? We ask a question internally, what do you look like once a week? Because we don't see each other very much. We're a remote company, so people share photos of themselves or their life. And so this idea that these are the six things and they're all wrapped into one product and you can replicate that with as many base camps as you want to create. That was an insight that only came after observing teams for 12 years. We didn't know that all those different pieces were part of the puzzle. We knew that there were some of them that were part of the puzzle, but we've been adding new ones over time. And now we feel like we have a very complete single product that can replace four or five other individual small pieces that people try and assemble themselves and do like a DIY kit of tools. We're trying to make one tool instead. So those are insights that only come from being around the problem for a long period of time. I know you like the Jeff Bezos quote, like focus on the things that don't change. It sounds like you're relatively committed to the idea that, that at least the six artifacts you, you spoke about right there, you don't see those things changing anytime soon. Like do you, would you foresee them all featuring in whatever the next base camp would be? Uh, what we've, I mean, I, I don't know, but what it seems to me is that these are sort of, uh, fundamentals of working together and some people assemble a wide variety of tools to do it. Um, we offer one tool to do it all in one place. Um, there may be new tools that come down the pipe, you know, three or four years from now, there might be another thing we we think of. We're actually maybe adding a few more tools over the next year or so. It seems, though, that the fundamentals, the, the, those are fundamental pieces that I would imagine would stay the same. Like all the way from Basecamp 1, we've always had to-dos. We've always had a message board. We've always had some form of scheduling or milestones or dates. We've sort of changed the way they work, but fundamentally things like that. We've always had a place to store files and share files that are important to the team. So some of those things have carried through and new things have come along along the way. And some of those things have changed shape over the years. 
But it seems that what we've noticed, at least over 12 years, is that there's some fundamental things, and this is where we're at today. You mentioned chat in there, and obviously, given you effectively invented team messaging software, like, again, a decade ago or so with Campfire, it would have been very easy for you to ride the recent wave of publicity around messaging. But you've kind of taken a counterpoint in the sense, and you're sort of questioning the idea that messaging should be used for everything. You're sort of suggesting that maybe there are certain types of conversations that only make sense in long form and maybe some others that only make sense in short form. Could you expand on your thinking there? Yeah, I think there's a trend right now where, where uh, chat first is, is sort of becoming a primary method of communicating across a team or across a group of people. And I think that chat has its place. We've, we've, you know, we've been around this for, for longer than anybody. And um, I've seen some of the things that happen when everyone turns to chat first. Chat is a wonderful way to hash things out quickly that need to be truly discussed right now. But in my experience, very few things need to be discussed right now. And in fact, many things are better fully laid out and people given time to absorb and consider and then respond on their own schedule. And I feel like what chat is doing is it's elevating everything to now. Everything's becoming real time now, which is an incredibly... Uh, I think toxic distraction at work when everyone needs to be paying attention to this stream of conversation all the time. It's very difficult to focus on anything. And it's also very difficult to make a, a decision when things are moving quickly on a conveyor belt that if you don't respond now, you're not going to be heard. Things are going to scroll away and then you're going to have to feel like you always have to do catch up. This idea that you always have to catch up on the 147 lines that you missed, like that is, a, in my opinion, a terrible way to work. It's, 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 a, it's a way some people are beginning to work, and I think there's actually already people turning away from that. They're like, we tried this, and wow, this is not better. This is not as promised. This is actually a wonderful way sometimes to get a few things done, and it's wonderful for, so, for social engagement and just kind of hanging out at work, which is valuable, absolutely. But it's actually not a very good way to discuss most things meaningfully. And so um, we, we've noticed this in our own work over the years. So we think chat is a piece, but not the first place to turn when you want to actually have a meaningful discussion. And I think most things that are discussed at work should be meaningful. Otherwise, you shouldn't really be discussing them. Otherwise, you're wasting a bunch of time and, and pushing and squeezing out time that's valuable to work on things that are meaningful. So um, I, I, I believe in chat. I believe in group chat. Um, I believe it's a, actually a, a, an important part of the tool set but not as the first, uh, first place to turn. I think actually things devolve and get worse. Most conversations do not get better um, in a group setting over chat. I think direct messaging, instant messaging between one or two people is actually quite good. Um, but as, the group, as a group gets involved, I think you end up getting a lot of people just chiming in because if they don't chime in right now, you know, history will go on without them. And it, this doesn't feel like a natural way to work to me. So anyway, that's our, that's our point of view on it. Um, so we think it's important, which is why we added it to Basecamp 3, but I don't think it's great as a primary method of communication inside an organization. Software is, most of the time, just a model of the real world. And, like, is is it the case that, you know, that if you take, like, say, a you know group chat with, like, with you know, most of the company watching uh, as a means, like, it, you know, you would never try and make an important decision between, say, yourself and David with, like, 43 onlookers all waiting to chime in witty one-liners in between your lines. And yet, it, it, that seems to be what we're modeling when we sort of say that that's how work should happen, right? Yeah. And, and part of that, you know, is cultural, like companies, you know, ha have to 
probably get used to this model of working at some level, but I also think there's fundamental flaws in it. And um, part of part of the problem is, is that um, when you when you when you communicate one line at a time, uh, one typically relatively short line at a time, it's very difficult to get complete thoughts out because complete thoughts typically have a backstory, have a have have sort of a current and a future. Like a really well put together thought is more complex than laying it out one line at a time. Um, and I think what happens is when things are one line at a time and, and there's no sense of having the floor that anyone can jump in at any time because they don't know where you're going with the conversation. They don't know where, where the full thought, when's it going to end. They don't know how long it's going to be. They, you can't see the form of the thought because it's, on, it's, it's coming out as you're speaking. And so what typically happens is when you have a lot of people involved in a room or watching or whatever it is, people chime in before you're done. And then things go off the rails pretty quickly. And then people get irritated because, you know, it, this is just a natural thing. When people are interrupting you, it's, it's hard to, and you have this idea, it's hard to get it up. And then things go in different directions. And this happens. And this just happens in person. If you have too many people in a meeting, this happens. It's very rare that you're in a meeting. Unless someone has the floor, at the, like the head of the meeting, who talks for 20 minutes, unless there's a known physical presence that this person has the floor, if people are just talking around a table, people are chiming in all the time. And there's a time and a place for that, definitely. Um, but that's more for discussion, potentially. Um, and I also, by the way, for whatever, for whatever it's worth, I think a discussion with five or more people is typically a bad idea anyway. It just doesn't it doesn't tend to lead anywhere good, in my opinion. I think your most discussion should be happening amongst three or fewer people, actually, in most cases. Um, but anyway, I think the point is is that is that the 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 method and the tool has a lot to do with the outcome you're able to achieve. And I feel like a lot of companies are rushing today. People are feeling more and more anxious at work because they're chatting more frequently. That is a sign of a broken idea if people are feeling more anxious and. Uh, I think if you were to go around and ask people, does work feel more relaxed or more anxious since you switched to chatting as a primary method of communication, the majority of people are going to go, oh, it's crazy around here. It's gotten crazy. How is that possibly a good thing? So I, that, that's sort of my point of view. And I know it's counter to the, to the industry. We've always been counter to the industry, so I'm totally comfortable in that position. But I think you know, it's something that we had to realize over years ourselves. Um, and I think other people will begin to realize it as they, as they get deeper and deeper in this, in this never-ending sort of uh, race to, to chime in. Speaking of a uh, counter to the industry, um, here's some things that are counter to the industry. Basecamp is 17 years old. As a company, uh, yeah. As a company, um, you've profits, profits in the tens of millions. Yes. Uh, you're 40 or 50 people or so. 50, yep. yep. All of these are pretty much uh, countercultural when it comes to certainly the software industry, uh, it's a staggering ratio of profit per person. Like, it's fair to assume you could massively increase your headcount if you wished and still be very profitable, right? Yes. You're choosing not to do that. What's going on there? <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of reasons. One reason is I, I, David and I both don't like the complexities of, of large organizations. Um, just, you know, everything in, in many ways slows down. Uh, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but in most cases, things slow down. Communication is harder. It's harder to be clear when you're talking to people that have to talk to other people and have to talk to other people to get the message across. There's all these, all these things that happen at large organizations. You spend a lot of time just dealing with the organization itself versus the work itself. 
Um, now, there's of course, you know, there are examples of well-run larger organizations. There's no doubt about it. It's totally possible. It's just not an effort that we're interested in making. Uh, we, we like we like keeping things smaller and more direct. Um, that's one thing. Second of all, I think it forces us to um, not invent work to do. I think a lot of organizations get big and they begin inventing work to do because they have to keep people busy and they think that they must do all this stuff now and going backwards would be impossible because they're now used to working that way where, where there's a lot of stuff going on that maybe doesn't need to happen. So there's that. Um, there's just also a sense of um, it's good to know everybody's name. I don't want to ever work, personally, I don't want to work in a place where I bump into someone and go, who are you? What do you do? That's just not, for me, personally satisfying or interesting at all. Um, I know for many, you know, many people that doesn't bother them, but for me, for me it would and David it would as well. Um, we just like the, the, also the ability to, to, to create very special experience for people who work at Basecamp. We do things that larger companies simply could not afford to do. Um, like we send everybody on vacation every year. We pay for their vacation. We, we, we put together a menu of vacations, that, that uh, wonderful trips, 16 different destinations around the world, amazing vacations and experiences people can take their family on, and we pay for the whole thing. Like if we had 150 employees, like I don't know if we would do that anymore. I just don't know if we would do that if we'd, we could afford it, but it's almost like – it, then it becomes a really massive expense that you just yeah. begin to question. You begin to question things. And then it's like, I just don't want to get there. I don't want to get there. I want to be able to do special things for people, create an environment where people can do great work and, and feel good doing it and not feel pressured by the, the weight, the, the sheer weight of a larger organization. So these are, again, personal preferences. Um, they're not right or wrong. They're just right for us. And so that's, that's why we've chosen to do that. One thing I think, like I was in your office before and you have that wonderful theater where I believe uh, a certain number of seats probably relevant to your previous name. But yeah. uh, I often thought that um, that like that, that represented some sort of cap. But obviously you've you've gone through that number. Do you sort of like, you know, you are growing a headcount, but just definitely slowly and deliberately. Is it possible in five years you could hit this like 80, 90, 100 point in your opinion or, or 10 years or do you think you'll personally make a decision to not do that? Um, I think we'd like not to do that, but I, I'm a big believer in this idea of, of just growing to the right size and the right size does not mean perpetual growth forever. Um, it also doesn't mean artificially keeping things small. It's like, what's the right size for what we want to achieve? How do we want to do it? That whole thing. And so that changes over time. Um, typically, we hire a few people a year. Um, what we also do is if somebody leaves, um, we don't immediately fill the spot. So this is, this is a little bit of a discipline thing. Like typically, someone leaves and it's like, all right, we need to find someone to replace that person. Well, what we're doing now is in some cases, that's true if the role is like a unique role. Um, but if there's, you know, let's say there's, there's 13 programmers, I'm just picking an example, and like one leaves, well, now we're down to 12. Maybe we should function with 12 for a while and see if we're actually capable of functioning with 12. Maybe we didn't actually need 13. So something we always ask is when a slot opens up, like do we need to fill it? Um, and then there are deficiencies in our organization where we don't have enough people on something and we'll hire in different areas. So I, I just think we're thoughtful about it. We're, we're careful about it. Um, and could we be significantly bigger in a certain number of years? I think that's certainly possible if we feel like that would really benefit the company, um, not just because we want to get bigger. I think it really has to benefit. And I think what we're seeing in, in many ways is that as you, as you grow the number of people at the company, 
it's the benefits aren't necessarily clear. The costs are very clear. Like, wow, it's harder to talk to everybody now. You know, we don't know as people as well. It's hard to assimilate new people into a large organization. Like all these things that become difficult. Those are very clear. It's it's less clear what the benefits are in some ways. Yeah, we can do more stuff, maybe. But did we need to do that stuff in the first place? These are just questions we ask ourselves. Yeah. It's not there's not immediate answers, but that's what we ask ourselves. It's definitely a, it's a really interesting take, and it's probably what makes you such an interesting company to study. Um, the last piece I'll talk about was in preparation for our chat today. I was shocked to see that Getting Real turned ten. It's just over a decade old. It's the book that effectively launched tens of thousands of startups, I'm sure, Intercom included. In fact, every company I've been in and every entrepreneur I know has read it. There are public companies that have followed the principles all the way through. It's kind of, it's old in age, but the content is still pretty fresh uh, or feels pretty fresh, probably again, because it's focused on what doesn't change. Are you ever tempted to look back on that book and sort of think about the impact it has had? I think Getting Real was our our best book um, because it was so pure. It's just like, this is what we think. There was no pressure. We didn't know if anyone would read it. We just kind of wrote it as a manifesto in many ways. And um, I do look back on it occasionally and remind myself that there's some good ideas in there um, that we should that we've we've actually strayed from. And so it's it's always nice to pull ourselves back to some of that. Um, you know, I don't really look back that much on stuff like that as far as you know what impact has it had. Uh, I, and I and I know there's a whole new generation of people who've never heard of it. So we've actually thought about re- republishing it or, or publish it, like updating it in some way. Um, you know, uh, so anyway, I'm not that reflective on on that on impact. I don't reflect on impact very much. I, I'm honored that a lot of people have read it and found it formative. Um, I, I think it's, it's still very applicable, even you know, almost ten years on now. Um, and uh, you know, I think it actually would would behoove us to go back and read it ourselves sometimes and remember that. Some of these things are quite simple, and it's very easy to make things complicated. And and uh, but 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 some of the principles are just flat out simple, and we should be following some of that stuff again. So, anyway, it's I'm glad I'm glad that that, that you think it was a good book. I, I I hope a lot of people who haven't even heard of it because there is a new generation doesn't know will check it out. Uh, sure. It's still it's free online. Getting real, uh, just search for getting real on Google. Getting real thirty seven signals. I think is getting real thirty seven signals is where it is. And check it out. Yeah. Before we close, I have to ask about something you, you, you hinted at there. Like, uh, do you think like is writing a book today for you and the company harder because the expectations are higher, or people expect you, you know you can't be as pointed or or take such a sort of absolute stance? Is, has that gotten trickier? Uh, that's such a good question. I think that naturally, what happens is that as as a company ages, it it becomes less sharp in a sense in terms of having an attitude because when you're brand new, you're scrappy and you're fighting against something. When you, when you become established, in some ways you're fighting against yourself because maybe hopefully you've had some influence and now some of your thoughts are mainstream and so it's like harder to fight against that. But we're actually, I, I want us to get scrappy again because I think we have a lot of really new ideas that are again against the industry. So I want us to go back in that direction. Personally, I don't think it's good to try and live up to other people's expectations. So we are going to probably write another book next year. Um, I've got some ideas on that. And, you know, I don't want to think about, do we need to do a New York Times bestseller again? Like, I don't, I don't want to think about what are people going to think. I have to live up to my own expectations. Those are the only, only expectations I can ever, I ever understand. And so I think we just want to do a, a great job with it. And that's, that's it. And, you know, what happens at that point is up to the market or up to people. There's nothing you can do, I think, to make, 
to, to, to sort of exceed other people's expectations because you really don't truly understand other people's expectations. Yeah. Yep. Um, you understand your own. And when you're proud of your own work, that's, I think, the best you can do. In terms of, I mean, we, we've had rework, we've had remote. Is there a chance we'd see rewrite, redesign, reinvest? <laughs> I think, uh, so here's some, here's some topics. Um, everyone's like, you should do retire, of course, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, not ready for that yet. Um, what, the book I have in mind right now is, is, is something called Regrow, which is about growing a small business uh, our way, which is carefully, thoughtfully, uh, that, that sort of angle on what it's like to grow a small business in a different way versus this idea that everything needs to grow quickly and fast. So there might be a topic there. Um, rewrite is probably a little bit too specific to software. I meant you, you, were, you had that famous blog post before about the college course you'd love to teach, which was all about oh, learning yeah. how to write. Uh, yeah. I guess maybe not a book's worth of material, but I think there'd be something fascinating there. I'd like to do that. The other book I'd really like to write, um, I actually, this is a class I've been thinking about teaching also somewhere, is this idea called Last Week. And the idea would be that every single week, I would take one thing that we did as a company last week and sort of uh, explode the idea and go deep into it. And it could be something like, what was it like to negotiate a new lease with our landlord one week? The next week, it could have been like the air conditioning didn't work, so what do we do? The next week, it could be a very difficult product decision or, or, or debate or, or discussion or disagreement we had internally. Another week, it could be an idea for a new feature we've been tossing around. Like it could, Next week, it could be an HR issue, like something came up. And, and just taking one thing from the past week, and so maybe it would be a book of 52 chapters or something where there would be – an in-depth discussion about one specific thing that happens in a real business and it could be any sort of thing because that's what you have to deal with in a real business uh, and sort of talk about that in depth. So that's, that's something that I've been thinking about doing. I don't know if it's a book, like book material or podcast material or blog post material. I'm not sure, but that's something I think would be kind of fun to do um, and interesting. So I don't know. That's another idea. Who knows? Well, we're, we're going to form some idea and, and put something out, I think, next year though. That'll be awesome. Well, well, we we will all be looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time today, Jason. Always fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.